All right. Well, welcome to the Larson Hicks show, podcast, whatever it is we call it these days. Um, I'm Larson. It's good to, good to have you here. And I've got uh, Pastor Chris Wiley is here with me. Thanks for coming on the show. Well, Larson, glad to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So, we're, in a, we're in a very cool place here. I too. know. We're in, so this glass is a wish you were beer glass. That's not where we are. What about yours? I don't know what yours says. Mine just uh, says, yeah, yep, yep, that's what mine says too. Wish you were beer. So that was a place that actually I think used to be in this building. Okay. Um, they inherited the glasses. They inherited the glasses. Yeah. But we are in uh, in uh, Pints and Pixels, which is a really cool um, hub concept that's got tons of beers on tap and... Uh, and old school video games. So yeah, it's actually designed, marketed for guys like me, <laughs> who actually played these games in the '80s. Yeah. And stuff. You yeah. Know? Well, I some of these I grew up playing in the in the mall. You know, when I was a teenager. So it spans a couple of a couple of decades worth of uh, of video games. But it's a lot of fun. My kids love coming here. Um, so they were nice enough to let us set up and do our thing here today. And so you're in town. Um, you are a visiting scholar with uh, with Trinity, which just means essentially that you come out uh, once in a while, couple couple times, several times a year, and uh, teach and spend time with us. And this is one of the things that we were hoping we'd be able to do is kind of a ask the pastor, stump the pastor. Yeah, that's usually what it is. Stump yeah. the pastor. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. I've, I've experienced this. So what happens, you know, when you're a pastor is some of your you know, some kid in your church, maybe 17 years old, and reads Richard Dawkins for the first time. Or, right. Or Sam Harris. Right. And it becomes Stump the Pastor. Yeah. 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 So I'm used to that. You've been there. Okay, yeah. good. Well, I don't know if Not we have any of those Not saying that questions. any of these folks yeah. have, re- have read those authors. But. Well, you know, we'll see. We'll find out. <laughs> so, yeah, we asked our church, uh, Trinity Reformed Church in Huntsville, to submit questions. I've got a whole page worth of questions here. Um, first thing, what are we drinking today? This is a pumpkin ale. And I know that there are people who are like... Uh, you know, on principle, uh, you know, they reject anti-pumpkin the anti-pumpkin ale. ale. But yeah, I get it. But it's okay for like two, three weeks a year. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it is. It's actually the first truly cold day. We would call this cold here in Huntsville. Hey, what's it? Seventy-two. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> it dropped below seventy-two. Now I think it was in the thirties this morning. Yeah, it was. Up. It was chilly. Yeah. So. Um, so it's it's I think it's appropriate. I'm also drinking the the Imperial Pumpkin Ale from uh, I think it's from uh, Straight to Ale, which is like just down the street. So um, a good choice. Okay, so um, so we're just gonna jump in, um, and this is gonna be all over the map. But I, but I, I feel like we should start it with kind of an icebreaker. Um, we know you're a big fan of the Waffle House. True. Um, so what is your favorite dish? Well, I, I, I'm a pretty dish. standard, you know, Waffle House guy. I get the waffle, and then I get the, the bacon, and the uh, eggs over easy. You don't get any hash browns. Well, yeah, I mean, sometimes that's just kind of part of the package. It's part of the package. Yeah, and I'm 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 good with hash browns. And now, are you a straight hash brown guy, or are you like the smothered chunks? I'm pretty much straight. I mean, I okay. I like. It, you know, butter. I like a buttery okay. hash brown. But, um, I mean, you know, the thing about Waffle House, it's, it's, it's the least expensive protein and carbs in the world. It's like <laughs> food for every true. man. That may be true. <laughs> I, I actually heard somewhere that McDonald, a McDonald's cheeseburger is the cheapest is the cheapest nutrition you can get on the planet. Yeah, I've, I've heard the same thing. So it, there ought to be like a study 
Yeah. You know, like at Harvard or like yeah. Yale or something like that. Where where do you get the cheapest, the least expensive carbs and protein in the world? Right. And it might be a run, you know, it might be a runoff between Waffle House and McDonald's. Yeah. Which which then the conclusion is, we need to get rid of all of the not nonprofit, you know, charity organizations <laughs> and just. Well, you know, and then just get that, out of there, McDonald's way. That, that's a, there's actually something to that. So I was involved in urban ministry for years, and I, and I was actually a ward of the state for a time. So I know what it's like to live on government surplus food. Yeah, you know that kind of stuff. Government cheese. Uh, yeah, government cheese and yeah, yeah all that kind of. Thing. <laughs> and it's awful. I mean, it's just awful stuff. Yeah. I mean, if 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 the choice for your typical kid was McDonald's or government surplus food, it's no Hands no contest. Down. It's it's McDonald's, McDonald's and Waffle House every time. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Well, it, it does say something about, I mean, you know, the free market and... Uh, and, and by right. the way, one of the things, you know, you get you get a lot of well, sort of meaning or well-intentioned people who get involved in, you know, ministry in, say, the city or whatever, and they, they go into neighbors and they, they get involved in, like, economic development. That's what right. they think they can do. Right. Which is really weird because you get all these people who are, like, in the nonprofit world who know nothing about business, and right. they're trying to start businesses. Right. And right. They're, they're trying to get people they, they, they get people doing things that no one wants to buy, you know, or producing things no one wants to buy, that kind of stuff. Right. But it, it's kind of a feel-good moment, you know, hey, we're doing this. But I, I think that, you know, opening up a McDonald's in a, in a really a blighted neighborhood is probably the best thing you can do in terms of economic development hmm. that's that's uh i'm sure not a commonly held no position. no i'm like uh i'm like uh public enemy number one when it comes to you know my thoughts yeah. on economic development in the church world yeah and it's been that way forever even when yeah. i was involved in urban ministry i was a i was a contrarian i've listened to uh i've listened to people compellingly talk about just paternalism in charity and and the idea of just giving people money like actually just saying, here's some money, um, or or the idea of just giving people, uh, like in the third world, insurance. You know, like 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 especially crop insurance if you're a farmer. Yeah, yeah that makes you know? sense. Yeah. And just how it changes behavior. It's like, well, once you have access to insurance or banking, um, or just some cash, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, the assumption is, well, they're not going to spend it well, and we know we know right. how to spend it for them. Right. Yeah. And you you end it with a kind of uh, system where people who are involved in NGOs and so forth right. do pretty well. Right, <laughs> right. There, there was a great uh, uh, documentary that came out years ago, maybe a decade ago, called uh, Poverty, Inc. Okay. And it oh, yeah. goes into some of, the, some of the sort of strange ways that NGOs yeah. uh, try to go about helping people. Yeah. And how counterproductive those things are, right, right, and and how just really wicked some of the stuff is that people like Bono or Bono or whatever his name is, right, and, right, you know, uh, right. Are, are all excited about. Yeah, yeah, it's a fascinating topic. Um, and and have you read uh, When Helping Hurts? I have not, but the concept is something I'm familiar with, and I could have wrote it. Really? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I did. I did urban ministry for a decade. Yeah. And then I was a I was a uh, object of uh, comp- compassion, yeah. Uh, you know, in, in sort of you know as a teenager as a warrior yeah. state. So, yeah, it seems like uh, I mean, when you talk to anybody involved in that world, like all of your all of your theories and altruism and a lot of that stuff starts to go out the window 
it's like uh, my little brother was in the military and he always talks about how no plan survives first contact with the enemy. Yeah, or Mike Tyson, you, everyone has a plan until they're punched in the until mouth. Until they get punched in the <laughs> mouth. That's right. That's right. 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 Exactly. And so, you know, I think, I think with charity, it's one of those things where, where we have a lot of grand theories and ideas of how this thing should work. Uh, and when it comes down to it, it's just so messy. Well, my, my experience is that many people who are idealistic are also presumptuous yeah. and have no clue. Yeah. how the world actually works, yeah. or even the, they, they don't understand their own motives, let alone the outlook of people that, who are the object of their right. you know, uh, interest in charity. Right, right. Well, that's a whole, that's a whole rabbit trail um, that would be fun to talk more about, um, but I'll, I'll, I'll move on. Um, that, we started that with a question about Waffle House. Um, <laughs> Uh, one of the other, uh, the, the kind of themes in, in the questions that came in, there was, there was actually a bunch of themes. Uh, one of the themes was kind of women, uh, women's roles and different aspects of church life and the family. So I think we should dive into some of that. Um, there was also some questions about kids. Um, um, and I'll, maybe I'll jump into one of these uh, here. You talked about, um, you've mentioned before that your kids all enjoyed reading. Um, uh, growing up, how did you, how did you cultivate that, or how do you, yeah. how does one cultivate that? Is that just a yeah. natural thing? Well, I do think that uh, some kids are more inclined to read than others. Um, I also think that there is an environment within which they they learn to uh, enjoy reading. Yeah. And if your if your house is full of books. Yeah. Uh, it's likely that the kid will get the message that books are a good thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if they see piles of books, or they see you reading books, that kind of. So yep. in our home, I was the reader. My wife, not so much. And uh, I would, you know, but we both would read to them when they were small. Yeah. You know, and they'd sit on our lap and we'd look at picture books and we'd read to them. And and then later on, you know, we'd, um, you know, read aloud. Yep. Uh, to the kids. But it was always a, a very, uh, there probably wasn't a day that my children did not see me with a book in my hand reading. Yeah. You know? yeah. So when, particularly when a father is reading, it signals this is important, this is significant. Um, moms, of course, are also important and do a lot, particularly at the practical level of, you know, helping kids learn to read it, particularly if they're homeschooled. Yeah. But... Uh, a father almost without intending to signals something as important by what yeah. he does. Sure. So if a kid sees dad reading, kid says, that's important. Right. If dad does it, then it's a good thing to do. Yeah. So fathers should be readers. Um, and today my children are actually uh, more broadly read than I am. I, yeah. I read all the time. Yeah. But. Uh, Often, uh, the object of conversation or the subject of conversation when we were together, my, my three kids and me, is what is everybody reading? And they're getting into stuff that I've never read. Yeah, yeah, that's great. <laughs> so they're at a point where they're telling me, no, Dad, that's not what happens in that book. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that kind of thing. So it's kind of caught, caught more than it's taught. Uh, I think so, right. yeah. Yeah, they've done studies on this, and yeah. it literally comes down to how many books you have in the house. Really? Yeah. Hmm. That's fascinating. 
I believe it. Uh, you know, I, I was listening to a, uh, a Jordan Peterson episode this week uh, with some neuroscientists, and they were just talking about dopamine and and this this like um, you know this kind of uh, loop that your brain kind of gets into when it's you, you, when, when your dopamine uh, system is kind of hacked, and you sort of I, I guess dopamine is sort of designed creationally designed as a reward for doing hard things like your your it's it's like your body's way of saying um good job keep going you yeah, know, keep working yeah, yeah, um so great. it's like this anticipatory thing um and uh but games the internet television it's all kind of been designed to kind of hack into that system right and uh and, and kind of do an in run around it so that you can get the 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 addictive like sort of uh habitual yeah uh uh byproduct that should be discipline that you're developing right uh, and habits good habits but it's sort of hacked by uh by kind of modern entertainment well this is something to, to also think about because there are only so many hours in the day yeah so screen time and book time obviously can't occupy the same time you know one yeah. it, uh presses the other out yeah so how you go about that I'm, I'm against um, you know digital books yeah. digital books are not the same yeah um, the digital book I mean it's great to be able to go on an airplane and have 500 books in your Kindle right you know but it's not something that you want to to, to be the first choice in your house so yeah. you actually want physical books yeah so and also I think we ought to uh, have high expectations for our kids in this regard, regardless of where their strengths are. Yeah. So, so my second son is a welder and a furniture maker, and he works for a construction firm in Hartford. Yeah. Uh, he's one of the kind of lead guys in the. He's only 25, but he takes uh, Dostoevsky to work to read on his lunch break. Nice. You know, yeah. it, and that's just normal thing. Yeah. So the idea that if you're like a guy who works with your hands, necessarily that means you you can't have like intellectual right. Right. An intellectual life is a, is a total lie. Sure. Uh, some of the best craftsmen I I've known are great readers. Yeah, that's cool. That's really cool. It sort of also mirrors the the caught not taught thing. Kind of also mirrors like the studies I've seen around church attendance. You know where where. Right. The children of a of a of a mother that attended, but a father who didn't. You know, the the uh, rates of of persisting in the church over the next generation's life is, is pretty low, but when dad goes, uh, it's just much much higher. Yeah, I think that's because fathers traditionally and even to this day, even though we live in a very egalitarian world, to this day signal public life. Yeah. So what dad's into means this is important in the larger world. Larger scheme, yeah. So That's what good. mom is into, tremendously important, Yeah. but it's, it's the domestic sphere. Yeah. And so if a kid aspires to be you know, important in the public sphere, uh, the stuff that dad does signals that. Yeah. Uh, Eugen Rosenstock-Husey had this, his cross of reality and inside outside and then future and past and so in the family he had um daughter's future just kind of the future of the family son is past he's sort of the connection to the past that goes into the future uh mom is inside she sort of defines home and dad is outside 
This goes all the way back to antiquity in every part of the world. Yeah. This is not a uh, uh, thing that's just a Western phenomenon. Yeah. This is a universal human thing. That's cool. Okay. Um, so on, on the topic of books, uh, one of our, our members said they just uh, are asking when you're going to finish writing the sequel <laughs> to The Purloined Boy. I finished it twice. Okay. And oh, you the, did? Yeah. The problem is, is the publisher keeps sending it back. Mm saying we want you to make some changes okay so i i'm satisfied with the the <laughs> second <it>. book <laughs> but yeah but they They've keep turning it into work well they have now now it's not as though um there's their uh suggestions are bad or something yeah. and it's not like they're trying to make me uh sort of water things down or anything like that it's more that every time you work with a commercial publisher you're not just totally in charge yeah, it's true. You know, they're the ones who've got the money at risk. You know, you're just yeah. like doing. Now, if you if you self-publish, you can publish yeah, you can do whatever you want. want. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but when you publish when you're publishing with a commercial publisher, they have a huge uh, say, and they can actually say, no, this doesn't meet our standards. We're not going to publish this. Yeah. So there's some things they're looking for that they have a right to look for. Yeah. And but I've got four book projects in the works, okay. and I write. And do all kinds of things. I preach, and so it's just hard. Yeah. It's, yeah. It, so this is actually like of the four, number four. Yeah. On the, yeah. On the priority list. That makes sense. It it it. Um, have you read Nassim Taleb's um, Skin in the Game? Oh yeah, yeah. I feel like there was a there's a part in that book where he talked about when in his process of writing a book, if he gets to a chapter that he doesn't want to write, he just doesn't write it. Um, because his thinking is like, if I can't get my own self That's good. motivated yeah. to write it, then then who? Else, why would I expect anybody else to be interested in it? Yeah. And, well, yeah. It, going back to this particular series of, of stories, the, the yeah. book, the, the the series I'm working on, uh, years ago, uh, I had written an, you know an entire story, got to a certain point. And I have a, uh, an, uh, an old friend who was an editor of mine from back. So I've had like two publishing lives. So, okay. So yeah. my, my, my 90s, 1990s publishing life, I was writing and publishing. Yeah. All those books are out of print now. Okay. And then I've had my you know 21st century light writing okay. life. And they're completely different lives. Okay. Different subjects, different things. Yeah. So, but uh, I went back to him, and he was an editor with Thomas Nelson, kind of a big deal in Nashville. Okay. And I gave him the, the manuscript, and he came back to me and said, this is good stuff, but you need to break it into two books. Hmm. So I said, okay. So I, bro I broke it up into two books. And so I had to rewrite the whole thing. Uh, and the first book, The Purloin Boy, is yeah. actually the first part of the story. The second part is what I've been working with now. Okay. And it's got kind of a different quality. Now, these new editors are saying, yeah. you need to take that second book and yeah. break it up into two parts. They literally are okay. telling me to do that. So I'm, I'm like, okay, I need to go back, rewrite book yeah. two, and then I've got the stuff right. kind of to begin book three. So I was thinking maybe this is a trilogy. It might be a, a four-book or even five-book series okay. by the time I'm done because the nature of the story. And it's a, it's a different... It's a different process than, say, like Harry Potter. Harry Potter, right. each book kind of stands on its own. Right, right. Uh, and, you know, obviously I've got a, I've got a uh, cliffhanger at the end of The Purloined Boy, and, and people have been, like, bugging me. for. I get, like, yeah. you know, two or three letters a month. Really? Out, outraged. <laughs> 
they why, want me to finish. Why are you doing this to us? <laughs> That's right. I, and I say, I've been trying. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Well, you bring up an interesting point about sequels and, uh, and, and the corporate involvement in writing. You know, there's a business to this whole thing. Yeah. And, uh, and you get this, you get a lot of movies where you're like, I wish they would have just stopped with, the, like, Matrix. Like, yeah, they yeah. shouldn't have done a second and a third. Yeah. Like, if they would have just left it alone, the, the, the brand, or, or Star Wars, maybe. Yeah. Um, so there's that, there, I'm sure there's that challenge of replicating. Well, there's, there's that. Now, with my, my story, there really has not, we've not actually arrived at a uh, resolution. You okay, know, good. We've got a series yeah, yeah. of cliffhangers and by the way the second book will also have a cliffhanger yeah so okay nice just so you're just so you know everybody yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so okay uh the second question on that on that was what what does purloined mean it means stolen stolen okay so the the story that often comes to mind when people hear that the word purloined is the purloined letter by yeah. you know uh yeah well po. uh poe yeah edgar Allan poe yeah 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 Okay, that's what I thought. Uh, Purloin letter, and it's and and the 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 punchline on that was that the letter was out in the open the whole yeah, time. Yeah, I don't remember actually that story. Okay, I and mean, I've read all the post stuff, okay. but it's been years. Okay. Now in my case, uh, for people who are familiar with the story, I also I thought it had a kind of uh, assonance, which reminded you of meals, like okay. You know, like tenderloin and yeah, stuff like okay, that. Yeah. Okay. 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 And if you know anything about the story, you know that there's a connection there. Okay. What uh, what um, what's your view of Poe? You you said you've read all of Poe. Yeah. Well, I think that he was really quite good at what he was trying to accomplish, and uh, he deserves the regard that people have for him. Yeah. He's dark, of course. Yeah. Um, he's not a he's not a an author who's writing things that are intended to like encourage you to walk with Christ or something. Yeah. <laughs> he's looking at human depravity and he's looking at kind of, uh, you know, he's really good, like H.P. Lovecraft, he's good at sort of uh, creating an atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. And that's what you read both Poe and, and Lovecraft for, yeah. is atmosphere. I think, um, I think uh, Flannery O'Connor was a, a big fan yeah. of Poe's. Yeah, well, you can see it for sure. I yeah. Mean, if you know her stuff, she's also about atmosphere. But she clearly has a Christian agenda. Yeah. But you have to have a, a kind of a nose for it and a, 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 and a willingness to go through this sort of grotesque yeah. story to see grace. Right. That's what you see in O'Connor. On the topic of short stories, I feel like um, a friend of mine asked a friend of mine who's very very well read um, reads way way more than I do. Tons of you know, just everything. Um, made the comment, I asked him about his thoughts on Flannery, and he said, I've never read Flannery. He said, I, and really, I've never read short stories, for that matter. He's like, I, I don't see the point of short stories. And I've recently, you, you told me about Lovecraft. I read a bunch of Lovecraft. Um, I got into uh, Ray Bradbury, read a bunch of his stuff. And, and there is this, I, I can see where my friend's coming from. My introduction, really, to short stories was, was Flannery. Um, and and I'm I'm wondering if she's not an outlier in the world of short stories because I feel like every one of her stories is a, in my view, a perfect self-contained work of art. Well, that yeah, that's what short stories should be. Yeah, they should be uh, generally 
um, you don't have a lot of space to develop yeah. like a character arc. Yeah. So uh, short stories work more like, you know, um, Twilight Zone or something. Yeah. You know, where there's some yeah. kind of shocker or right. ending. Right. And you have to communicate pretty quickly what a particular character is about. So there's not a lot of, like, inner tension to resolve or something. Yeah. That takes a novel. Yeah. So uh, there's usually the shocker ending. So I've written a, a couple of short stories that have been published, and I've, I enjoy the form, but it's not a form that has much salience today in the, yeah. in the book world. It's more yeah. of a, a, a form that has a place maybe in television or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it seems like it's it's uh, short stories tend to be more just kind of a scene, you know, and and uh, and when it's good, it's really immersive, and you sort of get sucked right into it. Um, I, I haven't read anybody yet that I think is even close to to Flannery. I'm I'm such a I'm a uh, I, I'm a zealot for Flannery O'Connor. Um, well, she's great. Yeah. All right. We'll we'll move on from Flannery. Um, so here's a here's a question, just kind of completely different. Um, direction um, when it comes to habits so people people talk about um, particularly family habits so people talk about Bible reading daily um, there's a lot of people that are big into like family worship that's a thing it's a big thing these days or at least a, a, a but it seems like a buzzword um, how do you think about family habits or f- Things well, I think like they're that. really important. Yeah, I think you know family worship is great. We we endeavor to do that with our kids when they were small. But I think family mealtime is huge. Yeah, um, I think I heard Vody Bakum basically say a father rules his house from the dinner table. That's good. And I think that's right. Yeah. And I think what you have in a setting like that is is basically kind of a time to check in. Yeah. You know, so kids are checking in with mom and dad. Yeah. You know, what did you do today? You know, yeah. What's going on? You know that kind of thing, and it's over a meal that you're sharing, so there's something about that that is just kind of primal. Right. Right. Uh, so like when I'm engaged in any kind of pastoral ministry, like if I'm wanting to connect with the men in my church, it's almost always over a meal. Over a meal. You know, we say, hey, let's go out and yeah. get something to eat, and what that says is, you know, uh, stuff that really is important at like this subliminal level. So, you know, in my house, uh, there were, you know, periods of time where you know, this was more challenging than others, particularly yeah. as the kids got busier or whatever. Yeah. But then we'd do some things at the table that were kind of fun. Yeah. So often there was, uh, I was like the story guy. Yeah. So I was, uh, you know, making up stories for them. That's another important thing. I think bedtime, mm. uh, telling your children stories at bedtime. Now, the great thing about books, of course, is that you've got the story. And yeah. You can read it. Yeah. But in my case, there's sometimes I'd read a story, but most of the time I'd make the story up. Yeah. For them. That's awesome. Then, um, but at the table, I remember one of the things we did for, oh, a few years is we would actually create stories together. Hmm. So we would go around the table and each of the kids would say what happens next. Hmm. So, you know, That's I would start fun. it out. So this is the 
these are the characters, this yeah. is the situation, then I turn to my daughter, what happens next? Yeah. And she would say something, and then I turn to my one of my sons, what happens next after that? That's great. And then you, next thing you know, you get this absurd kind of mad lib story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love it. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I, I tend to think, like, I'm, I'm a, maybe I'm too much of a rebel or something, but I, I tend to bristle a little bit at, uh, to me, what, what I perceive as kind of a, a virtue signal kind of thing, you know, with like, well, in family worship last night, we did so, you know, we did X, Y, or whatever. And, and um, I'm with you that I think, I mean, I think the meal, the meal is kind of the place where you set the tone. This is how we relate to each other. This is how we show just daily kindness and grace to one another. Um, it's sacramental. We're breaking bread. Um, and it's it's the most obvious place for me as a dad to open up the word and say, hey, I read this and let me read you these couple of verses that stuck out to me this morning when I was reading the Bible. Um, but it's, or there's a, you know, in the course of everyone giving their, their update on the day, there's a, hey, that's an interesting topic. Let's yep. talk about that. Um, yeah. I've always found that to be and, and I guess th I had this experience recently. Um, you know, I've done a lot of, I say a lot. I, I think like most evangelicals, kids that grew up in the church, especially who were kind of on fire in the, you know, for, for Jesus. I've definitely done my fair share of witnessing to people and, and presenting the gospel um, to such an extent that I have a hard time when somebody asks me to explain the gospel to them, not reverting to. Right the formula that I was taught and that I've, yeah. cause I've done it so many times and heard it so many times. If you times. were to die tonight and you were standing right. before God right. and he would ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? <laughs> right. That's and, just one of them. Right. No, no, that's <laughs> totally one of them. And I had, I had one of the first, I had recently an evangelical, an evangelistic conversation. Um, was entirely different from any I'd ever had. Yeah. And it was, it was this meandering conversation about everything. Those are always the best, right? Yeah, and it was, and it, and it, and it, and it also felt to me like the Holy Spirit was present. Like it felt to me like somebody else was at the wheel steering this thing, and yeah. and and I was kind of talking about the things that I. It's kind of the skin in the game thing. I was kind of talking about the things that I thought were relevant and interesting. I was actually listening to the guy that I was That's speaking very with important, very important. and trying to respond, yeah. you know, in a meaningful way to what he was saying. And sure enough, I feel like. Um, it was, it was a far more meaningful yeah. experience for the two of us. Yeah. Um, that resulted in me praying for his salvation with him and great. and tears, you know. Nice, and it's like, nice. okay, so uh, great. I didn't once go revert to the script. Yeah. And I think it's the same kind of thing at our dinner tables. You know, the, this like family worship thing. Right. Uh, there's a there's a model. There's a book. There's a workbook or whatever. Right. right. And, and I think you turn this thing that can and should be all about a, an organic, natural relationship right. uh, and turn it into this, like, I got to check this thing off. Yeah, I think, I think those are really great observations, and I, I am 100% with you. I think one of the things we're trying to help our kids with is conversation. Conversation yeah. is really important. Yeah. And help you know so a lot of kids today it strikes me don't actually know how to carry a conversation right and when you have genuine listening and genuine thought 
uh, and relevant connections being made to things that people are, you know, it's sort of like, you know, when you get to these canned presentations, you know, right. you know, you're, you're trying to figure out, you know, how can we possibly get to, to the, to the presentation, you know, and like, you're sitting at a table with somebody and you're eating spaghetti and you say, you know, this spaghetti reminds me of how messed up our lives are. That's right. That's right. <laughs> it's uh, just like everything inside it. You know, it's just chaos, you know. That's right. Which reminds me, you know, if you were to die tonight. That's right. <laughs> that kind of thing. You know, whereas if you're just actually, you know, yeah. sort of really listening and, and, right. and you're spiritually minded, you actually, actually see how Christian faith is reality. Right. It's not like some alien thing that's imposed on reality that's right but you're actually dealing with reality right then everything really can kind of be brought into that's right uh, that light if you know how to talk yeah and listen and listen and listen that was the thing that you said that's really important you gotta yeah. be listen you gotta listen right right yeah and it's, really care it's a two-way thing yep yep yeah it's good that's really good uh well that helps that helps i think at, at least think about some ideas for kinds of things you can do, uh, but also kind of um, some higher higher level considerations. Um, uh, another question that came up was, um, and again, we're bouncing all over, but um, what what questions would you want the father of your daughter-in-law to ask your sons during their dating courting period? Like, what what kind of things would you expect? I mean, you've been in both seats, right? So you're as a as a father to both sons and daughters who are who have who are in the gone through that phase of courtship and and engagement. So, what right. are the kinds of questions you think are important? Yeah, you know the the way that question is framed is sort of like a mental yeah sort yeah. of like I tried to simplify kind of it, but yeah yeah because because you know both my sons had those conversations with their future father-in-law right. and they're both married now and apparently they did okay yeah yeah <laughs> so uh, and the then question I, is did did the father-in-law do okay i don't know i mean i never <laughs> asked them i never i i don't know if i maybe i asked one of my sons about a convers you know what what did you guys talk about yeah but i can't recall well he approved of your son so clearly he made a good choice yeah yeah <laughs> Well, I you know, I know in my case with my yeah. daughter, you know, I can speak to that. Yeah. Um, you know, what's your, you know, you can kind of think about it as a, a set of priorities. You know, there's first order, second order, third order, those yeah. kinds of things. Yeah. So first order obviously have to do with the Christian faith. Yeah. Kind of, you know, sort of assessing whether or not the, the man you're speaking to, the young man you're speaking to is the real deal. Yeah. You know, and is capable of leading a household yeah that, so that's kind of a borderline thing because there's there's obviously okay we have a lot of young men out there who can you know pass the membership exam yeah and demonstrate that they believe in christ but we have fewer young men who actually demonstrate they can actually lead anything yeah you know and what you're looking at when you're looking at a prospective son-in-law is can you do both can he command, and I mean that in the best sense, the respect of his daughter, of, of my, you know, your daughter? Yeah. So um, now, when I say command, I don't mean somebody say saying respect me. Right. You know, right. What you're talking about is how you conduct yourself. Yeah. So that it, the respect comes easy. Right. So what you want, you know, the scripture tells 
uh, wives to respect their husbands. Right. Some men are hard to respect. Yeah. You know, that doesn't mean that the command is null and void. Right. But sure. But what do you want in a son-in-law? You want a, son- a son-in-law who's easy to respect. Right. So your daughter can respect him without even having to even think about it. Just not even trying. Right. You know? So. Well, and that's also, that's also a, uh, that's relative to the daughter. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You got to think about your daughter, what her strengths and weaknesses are, what she needs, those sorts of things. So, you know, I, I've got a. Uh, a future son-in-law. My daughter is engaged to a young man. He's a fine young man, and I've had a number of conversations with him, and he's passed. You know. Yeah. Um, in fact, I could sense in the first five minutes that he was hmm. he was good. Hmm. There were other guys who came along that I said no. Yeah. You know, I actually said no. What? Could you explain that a little bit? Like, why 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 did you say no? Well, there were certain signals, certain things I could I could see. Well, it just. So when you're a father and you're assessing a prospective son-in-law, it's actually the same kind of thing you do with every man you meet. Yeah. Can I respect this guy? Yeah. There are lots of different things that are subtle indicators that say no or maybe. You don't want to be no or maybe when yeah. it comes to your son-in-law. You yeah, want right. to be yes. Yeah. So, you know, I had, uh, you know, the difficult task of saying to my daughter, uh, in particular case, no. That's not going to be a guy that's going to work. Yeah. And I think that she knew that. Yeah. But, you know, a lot of, you know, often young women are taken with the fact that, you know, they're the object of someone's attention and affection. And, yeah. You know, feels and, good. Yeah, it feels good. Uh, but I think she had her own doubts. But it was nice to have me confirm those doubts and to say, you know, yeah, we need to make sure that this doesn't go any further. And I can be the bad guy. I'm the heavy. You know, you can yeah. say to him, my dad doesn't approve and that kind of thing. And it's yeah. just over for you. Yeah. Um, but, you know, in the second case, you know, I, you know like when, every, when you're like in a business uh, encounter. Sure. You can know in the five minutes whether or not you can trust the guy that you're talking to. It's those sorts of nonverbal cues, just different things. Um, you know, if we want to spell it all out, you know, you know, we can talk about how does he hand, you know, you know sort of what's his deportment, you know, yeah. what's his... Uh, confidence level, what's his intelligence level, you know, yeah. uh, those sorts of things. Uh, now, it doesn't mean you're 100% sure. I mean, it's yeah. not like you can say with the kind of certainty that God can say about what the future sure. holds. But in terms of... Now, another thing to keep in mind is it doesn't necessarily mean that this guy is everything you want. You know, so you have to, like, again, getting back to primary, secondary, tertiary things. If you're talking about tertiary things, you know, yeah. now we're in the realm of taste. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. You know? So, you know, when it comes to that stuff, then you, you're, you're more or less thinking, well, hey, you know, uh, he's got different interests. He's got different uh, aptitudes. You know, that's yeah. fine. You know, then the question is, is, is it a good fit with my daughter? Yeah. You know, and then you can sort of assess it in that way. So you can respect, you know, the young man and, you know, approve of the young man, but not necessarily sort of like make him your bosom buddy. Right, right. <laughs> that kind right. of stuff, you know. So I, I think you need to be able to sort all that stuff out. And I think sometimes dads err on both sides. I think some dads are like, I'm out to lunch, whatever you want, girl. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, I approve, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, some of those guys couldn't even imagine themselves saying no. Right. And then you got the other extreme is unless he's exactly everything I've always pictured, then no. 
right. think that's crazy too. So you need to have a kind of an assessment, kind of wisely assess, yeah. what's this particular young man, what's my daughter like, do they make a good fit? That yeah. Kind of thing. I said, uh, Rich, Rich Lusk and I had an episode, our last uh, podcast episode was about um, dating. And one of the comments, have, have you read, um, I'm sure you've read the uh, eggs, uh, sperm is cheap, eggs are expensive. I'm familiar with the statement. Okay. Yeah. It's a it's a wonderful book, tremendous book, um, lots of just great um, practical wisdom, uh, stuff you're not allowed to say. Sure. But that's like. It's always the best things. Yeah, stuff it's always just wonderful. <laughs> uh, but he ta he said one of the things he says in the book is, um, which is one of those just obvious things, but nobody says it, is that like a young woman, you know, in her late teens, early to mid tw or you know twenties late teens, 20s, um, is pretty much at the pinnacle of the, of the sexual marketplace. That's true. Right? And so it's a crass way to talk about it as a marketplace, but use the, you extend the metaphor and say, okay, well, if I want, if I want the most buying power to, 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 to get the absolute highest quality man I can get for my daughter, then there is an optimal window of opportunity here that I should, as a wise father, take advantage of. And I think, I think your, your comment about the tertiary things, like some, some folks get too hung up on the tertiary things and they push out too far past that, that sweet spot where you're really, the best candidates are out there, they're looking and they're gonna get snatched up by somebody, right? Yeah, and when you're working with a daughter, it's very different than working with sons. Yeah. Uh, because there's a whole different kind of dynamic. Yeah, for sure. So with sons, you know, the, the coaching you provide is like how to initiate. With the daughters, your coaching is like how to evaluate. Yeah. So that it, you know, kind of different things, you know. Yeah. So now obviously there's an evaluative element to, you know, what kind of girl you should pursue. Sure. And, you know, there's a, you know, how should you set the, you know, with the girl, the trap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that kind yeah. of thing, uh, and, but I, I do think that you know there's just they're just different realities, yeah. and so you need to be able to give good advice on both sides of that. But I I think that we have done a really tremendous disservice to young women by not just dealing with the facts on the ground. What are the facts on the ground, young woman? The facts on the ground are what you said. Yeah. So with 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 young men, you know what I t told my boys is I said. Uh, you know, guys, you're and I, individually because I get together and talk. We talk about this stuff all the time. Your your social uh, sort of value, your marketplace of the mating game value is only going to go up. Yeah. With time. Yeah. Because you have more earning power. Yeah. And your the pool of women that you have to choose from grows. Right. So think about it this Some way: if you're yeah. if you're 20 years old, you're likely. Uh, to be only a you know uh, you know uh, sort of considered a, a, an appropriate match with maybe a girl 21, 22 to 18. Yeah. You're 25. You can still marry the 18 year old girl. Right. Right. <laughs> and nobody's going to blink. Right. But you can re marry the 27 year old girl too. Right. You're 30. You can still marry the 18 year old girl. <laughs> now at that point, people are like saying, "Well, it's robbing the yeah. cradle," but no one's going to like stop you. Right. 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 <laughs> you know? Now, your pool gets bigger. And your social sort of credit score grows yeah. as Status. your earning power grows. As yeah. your sta social, sta it's the reverse for girls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So her her pool gets smaller. Yeah, it's time. a good way to think about it. Yeah, 
And all the objective data s confirms this. Right. You know, it's not like I'm saying anything that's like, how could he possibly say something right. so benighted? No, we've got the data. Right. Well, I, I love it. I, I mean, I think you're right. I think it's not a popular thing to say, but I think if we're just being, if we're just trying to help people yeah. think about these things in a way that's, that's practical, um, you know, this isn't to say any of this stuff is, um, is uh, um, immovable or, or, or fixed in stone for every single situation, but good, good, it's, it's good wisdom, it's proverbial, and it, and it works. Um, so on this topic of, so I, I think you and I talked about your daughter in particular going to college. I hope she doesn't mind us talking about her so much. Um, but, uh, but, but one of the things we talked about was the challenge of being a dad of a, of a really smart, um, theological, philosophically minded young lady, um, that that's kind of a... That's just an interest. I mean, it's not an, a wildly uncommon thing, um, but 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 it, it is. I think in, in our circles probably presents somewhat of a conundrum for some people. How, how did you guys think about that? Yeah. Well, um, as you noted, my daughter's bright. She scored in the top one percent on the SAT in both the language and the math. Yeah. Wow. So um, she didn't want to go to college. And I said, you know, sweetie, do you want to spend the rest of your life correcting your husband's English? <laughs> that was awesome. my sort of thing. That's and great. she was like, no, I don't. <laughs> That's a I great. I said, well, you probably need to kind of go into a pool. Yeah. So this is the thing. A, a woman needs to sort of think about what is the pool that I want to be in Yeah. and who's fishing there. Right. So um, if you're a really bright girl, you want to be in a place where bright guys yeah. are fishing. Yeah. looking for a wife so I said you're, you're unlikely to get that in Sunday school at our church yeah you know we know all the guys they're good boys yeah yeah <laughs> nothing sure. wrong with them yeah you know? but um, you probably need somebody that's not in that pool yeah so where are you gonna gonna find that well colleges are kind of a sorting mechanism yeah so if you go to a, a good school kind of an elite school you're likely to find a guy who's going to be easy for you to respect. And that was my main thing. I yep. wanted somebody that was easy for her yep. to respect. So she went to a, a good college, an elite school, and sure enough, it happened. Yeah. Of course, I was praying the whole time. Sure. There was a suitor, as you know, I noted yeah. earlier, that I, I didn't approve of that yeah. was there. Um, and anyway, it, it's, it's, you know, we're... We're heading toward the finish line here. The mayor, you know, the wedding is going to happen in a couple of months. Nice, that's awesome. And uh, you know, we're we're anticipating a happy marriage. Yeah. So in the in the Kevin DeYoung article uh, that came out in the last week or two, you shared it. I thought it was great. I reshared it on on Facebook. Um, he talked about college and about how if you if you looked at the literature, if you taught, or if you sat in on the classes, uh, even of all the best Christian schools out there. Yeah. yeah. The assumption you'd walk away with is that none of these young ladies are going to go be mothers uh, or wives. Like they're all going to be oh, professional yeah. career women. That's um, definitely the message, and I'll name names yeah. that you get at Wheaton College. Yeah, yeah. So Wheaton is an elite school. Yeah, it's a top 100 school. Right. And I'm talking top 100, including the Ivies. Yeah. So it's it's a good school. Yeah. Uh, but the message that those young women receive at Wheaton, and I and my oldest son went to Wheaton, and so did my oldest daughter-in-law. 
Yeah. Very bright girl. Yeah. Um, the message they got repeatedly was like, success is career. Yeah. 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 So, so I love that. I love that. Um, I mean, so I, it, it's kind of a different rabbit trail, but, but one is you had as, as a father, you had a purpose and a design in mind for sending your daughter to school that, that despite what she may, may or may not have been hearing in the classroom, which of course is another question, schools to avoid, schools not to avoid, but, but regardless of what she may or may not have been hearing there, your design was we're, we're preparing for your calling uh, and a calling it sounds like she was excited about. Um, yeah, she never chafed at it. In fact, this is what she wanted. She, yeah. She want, so before she got to know the young man that she's engaged to, she was actually thinking that she might have to settle yeah. to be a college professor. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was plan B. Yeah, plan B. Yeah. Well, I mean, but, 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 the, but the strategy was, as you said, you know, this, this is the, we're, we're looking for a pool of, of the kinds of men that you are going to be, uh, have an easier, have, have a better time um, respecting, honoring, but also, I mean, I was, I was talking to my son about this, you know, the, the part of the idea is that um, he's got a mission and he's got a helper on that mission. And so in a real sense, her calling is his calling. So you're looking for a suitable, so if, if you got a woman who's inclined towards theology, philosophy, literature, higher order stuff that not m many, you know, not most are maybe in, in uh, both genders. Sure, sure. Um, she's going to be probably a rock star helper to someone in that field. Right. She'd be a serviceable helper to a, an auto mechanic or somebody who's doing something completely right. different. Right. Um, but but it, but the question is is about wisdom and, 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 and a good match. Yeah, so her fiancé has uh, aspires to be a college professor. Yeah. Which is a great setup for my daughter because then, you know, she's conversant. She can talk about yeah. the, the same subjects that he does. So she could, uh, you know, provide the home environment yeah. for entertaining uh, really, you yeah. know, high-level intellectuals and things like that. And, and, and you know actually engage in the conversation at the table right. and, and make good points and things right. like that. So on the topic, you, you, you named names uh, on the college front. That's a big topic in our church. It was one of the questions is um, what, what colleges, can you name more names? Like what, what colleges out there, you're on the board at New St. Andrews, um, you've got kids at a bunch of different schools or have, have had kids at a bunch of different Christian schools. What colleges are worth would you say are kind of top of the list right now? Yeah, I would say there are schools that I, I could recommend to anybody, and then there are schools that I would recommend only under certain conditions. Yeah, yeah. So, like, schools I could recommend to anybody, obviously, New St. Andrews yeah. is, a, is a good place to be. Great great people, uh, good faculty, inexpensive, all yeah. the things that, you know, we can support. I think Grove City is pretty good. Yeah. I think that there are certain things about Grove City that I have questions about right now, uh, having to do with some things that have come out with regard to how they've handled certain uh, matters, uh, uh, you know, like CRT and stuff like that. Yeah. But they are far better than 
yeah. 99% of the Christian College Coalition. So yeah. let's, let's, you know, we need, we need to make sure that we don't overstate things or make yeah. things seem, uh, there, but there are questions. Uh, you know, a really good school, you know, another good school is Hillsdale. Hillsdale's yeah. a great school. Yeah. Uh, places like Wheaton or maybe your standard evangelical college, you, you are going to... Biola. Uh, Biola. You're going to encounter a kind of leftist evangelicalism that may be unfamiliar to you. Yeah. So it depends on the kid. So, uh, or the young person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Revealing my yeah. age. <laughs> but, you know, if, if, if the young person is really solid and is capable of uh, discerning the, you know, the good and the bad in any situation, probably that child is going to be fine just about anywhere. Yeah. That's you know, true. You could, they could go to Harvard or yeah. Yale or whatever and uh, be okay. Um, but, uh, but the school itself, then the question is, is why are you going there? Yeah. So, you know, a play, you know, when you think about a place like Harvard, uh, I spent a little time there. I know the Ivies a little bit. Um, what you're buying, at, you know, uh, with an education at those places is uh, the social sort of uh, cachet of yeah. the institution. And the education. The signal. Yes, the, the brand. Signal. Yeah. Yes, the brand. And the education may not actually be as good as at a place like Hillsdale, in terms of what you're actually getting, in terms of yeah. attention, and and but you're now part of a club, yeah, literally a club. For like, sure. I'm a I'm an alumnus of Harvard Divinity School, and I'm actually uh, able to go into any Harvard club. Hmm. Literally, they they have Harvard clubs, clubs yeah. in every major city. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and be welcome. Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, that's a great place to, like, if you want to impress your friends, you know, hey, let's yeah. go to the Harvard Club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's a lot of what it is. Yeah, it's, for it's sure. that stuff. Um, so is, it, are you in it for that reason? Uh, that's something to think about. And so the, the schools I mentioned, you know, Grove City, New St. Andrews, Hillsdale, you know, probably a place like Patrick Henry. Yeah. Good, solid school uh, are places that just from top to bottom are going to be Unwoke. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they might have an occasional chapel speaker who says something that something you don't stupid. like or whatever. Yeah. But, but uh, generally, uh, the Christian College, College Coalition... So here's something to kind of know if you're a parent thinking about these things. The school that you went to 30 years ago is different. Yeah. You think you're sending your kid to the school you went to. You, yeah. You're not. Yeah. Another thing to know is that even if your school has like a lot of, you know, sort of advertising uh, to present itself as Christian, yeah, there are a lot of different people who have di you know ideas about what that means, yeah, and some of those people are not on the same page with you, yeah. That's another thing to think about. Third thing to think about is what goes on in an institution today is a bit different than the way it was maybe 50 years ago. So. You know, when you think about baseball, I remember when baseball players played for the same franchise their entire life. Yeah. And they hated not only people on the other team. Right. They hated people in the other league. I mean, with with real venom. Yeah. You know, you, you'd watch the old All-Star games and, like, Pete Rose is, like, almost killing people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that kind of thing. Now, with free agency, everybody knows I might end up playing for those guys. Right. 
There's, so there's not the same kind, and the same thing's true with the academy. So we, let's say you're a professor at, like, Gordon College. Yeah. You're actually interacting with not just your colleagues in other Christian liberal arts institutions. You're interacting with your colleagues in secular institutions, and you're, you're concerned about your standing in their eyes. Right. So you care about what that atheist in your discipline thinks about you at the neighboring liberal arts college. Right. So that, how does that affect, uh, you know, the quality of education at your typical right. Christian liberal arts college? It has a detrimental effect. Yeah. So one of the reasons why we're seeing kind of a, a sort of an eating away, sort of a decay with regard to Christian uh, standards and, and sort of a willingness to make strong stands has to do with this. Yeah. I don't want to, like, uh, cut off any future you know, sort of career prospects. Right, right. <laughs> and I don't want my school to be seen as that school. Yeah. Oh, the, you're from that school. Right. Oh, you're the school that, you know, doesn't, you know, promote, you know, personal pronoun choice. Ah, you know, you know, so now you're embarrassed because, oh, I'm associated with this school. Right. Now, there are a lot of spiritually mature Christian professors at these schools who have paid the price, counted the cost, I'm not talking about those people, yeah. but there are far more people who are wishy-washy, squishy, uh, afraid uh, of offending folks. Yeah. Just like we see in the evangelical church, pastors who are like, you know, trying, they got their finger, wet yeah. finger to the wind, trying to pick up what's the latest social trend and how can we give it a Jesus right. kiss. Right. You know, that same thing happens in the colleges. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's a big topic, but just... Political correctness, you know, to me is a cancer that 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 um, that affects any any large institution, but it but it but it extends to it, it also to your so point. So here's, here's another problem. Yeah, many uh, board members at, at at colleges who are charged with overseeing the integrity of their institutions, both you know uh, financially, but also missionally. Are completely out of touch. Yeah, I just had a conversation yeah. last night with a board member. In fact, the chairman of a board of a college, and he's just now learning about DEI. Hmm. He had no clue. Yeah, you're like, where? What? What is that? Yeah, yeah that's what. Uh, and and he says, I'm learning about this, and I'm like appalled. Yeah, and I go to my other board members; they don't even want to know about it. Yeah. So, there are a lot of people charged with the, you know, the oversight of the of these schools right who have zero in, sort of understanding about what is going on in different disciplines in the academy right what are the trends in education these kinds right. of things so you know you've got alumni who are living in the past they're supporting schools because yeah. that was my school and I went there 30 yeah. years 40 years ago and then you have uh, board members who are not up to speed on what the situation on the ground is have no idea what their professors actually teach or believe and then when they find out they're like i can't accept it i can't believe it i i and then they go into denial mode right so then then you got the administrators and mainly you know they're they're interested in accreditation and money from the federal government right and both of those things come with strings yeah and, wow. and people wonder why is stuff drifting the way it is right yeah, I mean, I, I think, and, and and I wish that it was only universities that were dealing with this, but it's it, it extends, I, I'm in the, 
I'm in the healthcare world and it's it's the same thing. I mean, yep. it's 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 you know, you wish that doctors just cared about taking care of patients. <laughs> and they wish they could too, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Believe me. Yeah. But the reality is they're all everyone's got to think about their careers and about See, this is what the liberals, the progressives, the Marxists are really good at. Yeah. Knowing where the thumbscrews are That's and right. how to turn them. Well, an example in my, you know, I'm in I'm in a we do a lot of we do a lot of work in emergency medicine. There's the American College of Emergency Physicians, right? Which, from a brand standpoint, everyone views as well. That's that's the most important, you know, voice in emergency medicine. And so when they come out strongly about abortion or about COVID or about fill in the blank, every emergency physician in the country goes. I guess I guess I got to I got to go along with this. Um, I'm certainly not going to say anything publicly that's going to go against that. Right. So that's exactly what this board member I spoke with last night. He said, you know, I speak to the to the members of the board and they're just like, well, I guess we'll have to go along. Yeah. Well, you made a you made a comment yesterday when we were talking about some of this stuff that that what underlies a lot of this, um, at least in the college. And I think this is true in business um, and in churches um, is this desire to, well, is, is there an option where we can just not offend anybody like it, like where, and, and as you were talking about it yesterday, what, what occurred to me was, well, no, the answer is no, there's not an option where you can't offend anybody. So then your next, the next thing is, well, how do we, how do we offend the fewest people? The fastest way to do that is to align yourself with the people who have the biggest microphone, which are the people who are the best at marketing. And so it comes down to, the game all comes down to who's the best at marketing, who's the best at public relations, who's the best at broad communication. They get to decide, they get to decide. And, and contrast this with Jesus. Yeah. You know, so yeah. you know, Jesus says, unless you, you know, eat my flesh and drink my yeah. blood, you you know don't have life and then a bunch of people say well this is a hard saying yeah and they leave yeah right right <laughs> and then he turns to his disciples and he says you're still here yeah yeah <laughs> he said, let me amp it up a little bit and yeah. say something even more offensive <laughs> yeah that's right <laughs> you know so he was all about kind of sorting it out and we're not like that we're yeah. you know there's a time to gather stones there's a time right. to scatter stones this is from ecclesiastes yeah yep. so we're in a scattering stone time this yeah. is a scattering time right so what we need to think about is okay what do we scatter about right you know then when we think about it, what do we gather to right so what are the things that we're thinking about so i i, I think that the thing that we need to really just reconcile ourselves to is that we're in a scattering time. Yeah. And stop with the nonsense. Right. Just accept it. This is a scattering time. Yeah. And it's a it's a separation time. Yeah. It's a sheep and goats time. Yeah. It's a who's with me and who's not with me that time. Well and it's and, and it takes it takes eyes of faith, um, at a minimum just faith in God. Um, but 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 also just some degree of, of enough creativity to, to, to put yourself 10, 20 years out into the future. I think it was James Wood at, at the conference you guys had recently talked about, uh, I'll be really interested to see what the trans detransitioners 
Yeah, we're already seeing a little bit of that. Right, like how but, they yeah. feel 10, 10 years from now. I'm expecting huge class action lawsuits. Right, and, and, and who are they going to be angry with? And who are they going to view as as the the silent, silent complicit people? Yep. Right. Yeah, we talk about the you know Nixon talked about the silent majority. We need to be talking. We need to talk about the silent silent complicity. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I heard somebody during the middle of COVID talk about. I think it was a governor in California that that was like the only or, or a mayor, of some town in, in California is like the only one in the state who was just just saying no we're not going to do all this stuff and and i think uh when i heard i think it was a, a woman when she was talking about it, she said if you if you listen to the nuremberg trials uh it all came down to how soon did you know when right. did you know right what you know and 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 at some point at some point you can no longer argue Pretend. ignorance yeah and so the question then becomes so when did you know and uh and you know so many people have been so vocal, so vocal about the conspiracy theorists, which means you listened and heard the conspiracy theories, you knew about them, you heard all the arguments, and you decided to align yourself with the power and the, and the influence and the respectable. Yeah, I, I think one of the things that we we're seeing is that our big EVA leaders were complicit. Totally. They just went along with everything. And now the other shoe is dropping. And we've discovered we're discovering a lot of things about the measures that were uh, taken that didn't have sound science. You, know, you think about the science. You know, this is something that we got preached. Uh, uh, you know, uh, 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 over or yeah, two. Yeah, beat over the head with us. Yeah, 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 that's it. So, and now we're like, what was that really about, yeah. dude? You keep using that word. <laughs> I don't think you know what that means. Right? I don't think it means what you think it means. <laughs> That's right. So the science is just a stupid, a stu right. stupid phrase. There's a little TM next to it. Yeah, yeah, and, and then um, the fact that, and I, I've got. So here's the weird thing. I, I've got. So my wife and I are both kind of, you know, from families with lots of academics and artists and, yeah, yeah. you know, woke people and stuff like that. Yeah. We have people in our family now who are like tri triple, quadruple vaxxed, yeah. who won't talk to us because we're not vaxxed. Right. And we're doing fine and they're still living in their, you know, yeah. and not coming out. Yeah. I mean, I'm not exaggerating. No, I believe it. <laughs> and so we're, you know, we're like, well, I mean, if we had gotten like, if we were like on our deathbeds, if we were on respirators, we would say, you were so right. We right. were so wrong. Right, sure, yeah. <laughs> but, but it's the reverse. We're fine. And who knows what you've put into your body. That's right. And how it's gonna play out. That's right. That's right. Well, I, th I think the, um, and, and this comes to the, this, this, the political correctness thing, um, you know, uh, the, the, the concept of winsomeness, you know, in churches where, where there's this false, this, this false argument, very compelling argument, uh, very pervasive argument that, that the way that the church is going to have the most influence is to be as winsome as possible. The way we're going to have the most influence is by not looking distinct at all. Right. Trying to blend in right. to the right. wall. Yeah, how's that work? Yeah. Well, that, that, this is just Look so stupid Trump. in so many ways. Yeah. What it demonstrates is yeah. a lack of confidence. So, you know, I remember when I lived in Cambridge, Cambridge, Massachusetts, I was, you know, surrounded by progressives and Marxists and all that. Never, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not exaggerating, they never cared 
how what they said made me feel. They weren't trying to win me no, that's with right. being nice. No, of course not. They were trying to intimidate me. Yeah. Make me feel ashamed. Yeah. For what I believed, and you know, if they walked away, uh, you know, sort of with this kind of broken relationship, they could care less. Yeah. Right. They could care less. Right. Uh, and they're winning. Right. Well, it's 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 evil. I think we would look at that and say that's evil. That's just intimidation. That's just bullying. But it's a whole lot more effective than what we're doing. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, I, I'm not saying let's go do what they're doing, but certainly if, if you're making a pragmatic argument that I'm just not going to weigh in on that issue because I want to be winsome, I want to offend your, anybody. Where's your confidence? Yeah. That's the thing I think. Where's your confidence? Right. I remember years ago there was a guy named J George Hunter III, and he was speaking at Yale, and I was in the audience, and he said he was addressing missions, believe it or not, he was actually at the Overseas Ministry Study Center, which is located at Yale. And uh, he said, what we lack today is apostolic confidence. Hmm. That phrase stuck with, stuck with me, it's apostolic good. confidence. Yeah. So when the Apostle Paul went to Athens, the, 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 the Cambridge, the yeah. Harvard, the Oxford yeah. of, it, of that world, yeah. he didn't shy away from saying at the very end of his his sermon or his address, and this man uh, will judge the world. <laughs> no, he didn't like make an appeal to you know forgiveness of right. sins. He didn't. He didn't. Right. Even, I don't even know. As I think about it, I, I do think he mentions. If, uh, I have to go back and look. But the the sort of the he's building to the climax, and the climax is the resurrection, which he yep. knew was going to offend both the Epicureans and the Stoics. Yeah, he knew it. Yeah. He was smart. He yeah. had read their stuff. He knew that was going to... And that's why he saved it to the end. Yeah. And then he said, uh, not only uh, you know, did God raise this man from the dead, but by raising him from the dead, he dis he's saying that he's going to, through this man, judge the world. Hmm. The end. Altar call time. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, so can you be more offensive? Yeah. So and then people use the, the, the you, know, you know, Paul at, at the Areopagus, you know, Mars Hill... To say this is our strategy, right. win some strategy. Notice how we right. No, you don't even understand the audience he's talking to. Right. That's why you think he's being winsome. Right, right. He's being very, very yeah. savvy. Yeah. He knows what they think. He quotes their poets, as he says. Yeah. He's well read. He's from Tarsus. Tarsus was like a, a center of Stoic philosophy. So yeah. he grew up in an environment surrounded by Stoics. Yeah. Uh, that's one of the things I don't think we appreciate. Paul was comfortable in a Greco-Roman environment. He was a Roman citizen. He read Greek philosophy. He had to, if he's going to quote him, yeah. from memory yeah. on the spot. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. And then he's obviously a, a Jewish scholar, studying under Gamaliel. That's like the Harvard of like yeah. the Jewish world. Yeah. This guy is super sharp. He's like... A list in both worlds. He's right. a clerk in the Supreme Court, right. the Sanhedrin. You know, so this guy is super, you know, like stellar. Yeah. In both worlds, and he's comfortable in both worlds. He's not faking it. Yeah. He's not trying to pass as a Greek, uh, you know, sort of authority. He actually is. Right. Right. <laughs> he's right. He's not pretending. He's not larping. 
Right. Exactly. <laughs> no, it's such a. I mean, it's such a. Yeah, it's it's uh you know it, it comes back to the the evangelism conversation a minute ago is is if you're if you're genuine and you've got sincere interest and you're willing to do the work to have to have something you know the holy we, we believe that Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit sure but the Holy Spirit had a lot to work with yes. <laughs> in Paul's case right that's right right so right. so Paul gave the Holy Spirit a lot of material to work with right right and so what we get is is what is what Paul and presented. he gets up and he's not apologizing he's not trying to be winsome right he's actually very you know sort of uh, uh, he's got strong convictions and he's going to communicate those yeah without apology yeah and do we do that right okay so um so jerry uh so it's kind of as a segue from winsomeness and what what paul was doing you know at mars hill um areopagus um jerry boyer's got a podcast where he um called meeting of minds podcast and he has all of these thought leaders um from all over the place on his podcast and and frequently they're christians uh frequently they're not uh which is great i i i love the i love the the podcast um he just had peter teal on for a second time and um peter and and he spent most of the episode talking about uh gerard i'm a huge fan of gerard and uh, and I'm a huge fan of Peter Thiel. Um, the thing that 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 is that I think is tricky that I'd love to hear your thoughts on is um, is throughout the episode, Peter Thiel really comes across as a Christian, and, and and I don't know that he ever. I think he may or may not at some point say I'm a Christian. I know that Jerry says, "Well, we conservative Christians." And he's referring to himself and, and Teal. He said, for, you know, for lack of a better term, we're conservative Christians. Uh, he goes ahead and says that, and, and, and Teal doesn't correct him. So, you know, I know that Teal is, is, is homosexual. Um, but you listen to the guy, and you're like, man, this guy's got so much right. Like, this guy knows, knows a lot of really wonderful things. So uh, the question to me is... I found myself in it because I listened to the episode with my with my kids, with, with several of my kids, teenagers, and um, we're talking about it afterwards. And they're like, "So wait, is Peter Thiel a Christian? It seems like he's a Christian." And so I found myself in this place where I'm like, "Well, no, he's living in open rebellion to the black and white letter of Scripture." So if he's a Christian, he's he's a Christian that's living in rebellion. Um, but yeah, he gets a lot right. And, and and I found myself trying to kind of put my finger on the scale for, for him. You know, like, well, you know, we don't know how he grew up. We don't know what kind of church he's Actually, in. we do know how he grew up. Okay. Well, so, you know, stuff like that where, where I'm trying to... But it but it, it brings back the 1 Corinthians 5, you know, exhortation from, from, from Paul about... He's talking about sexual immorality specifically. I mean, he talks about other things. But, but that's kind of the centerpiece of the chapter... Of, of really the the book the the book um, and he says you shouldn't you shouldn't even eat with such a one like you shouldn't you shouldn't you shouldn't sit down and break bread with somebody and, and specifically Peter uh, Paul says when they call themselves a brother right and so that was where it's like okay 
the category of like, I'm happy to talk to a non-believer subject matter expert about whatever, just in general, happy to talk to a non-believer about whatever, um, happy to talk to a Christian about whatever. But there's this, like Paul's saying something there that we have to obey, right? And it seems like what he's saying is if they're a Christian, if they call themselves a Christian and they're in open rebellion, uh, uh, we shouldn't, we shouldn't even hang out with them. So uh, anyway, I, I actually sent an email to Jerry about this, hoping to have a dialogue with him. And I know I'm like number a thousand on his list of things. So I, it doesn't bother me that I haven't heard back, but I am, I am eager to, to flesh this out. Cause there's a lot of us who have family members who are gay, uh, family members who are gay, who still call themselves Christians. Uh, how, how do you think about, how do you think about that passage? Well, I mean, there are a couple things to talk about here. One is the passage, but then there's just sort of the situation on the ground that we find ourselves right. in. So my understanding is that Teal grew up in a Christian environment. Yeah. He is a Christian home. Yeah. He's got a very, I think, um, high level of comfort with people like us. Yeah. Because of that. Now, he's also uh, a part of a larger world of sort of uh, technological innovation yeah. and investing and venture that kind capital and yeah so one of the things that I think is a real challenge for people who come out of very solid uh, Christian homes is is if they're entering into the sort of elite cultural spaces what do you do with people who are on the same page with you 80% of the time right Right. 70% of the time. Right. 60% of the time. Do you just not interact with them at all? Right. Or do you say, okay, we've got some things that we have in common. Let's work together yeah. on those things. Let's talk about those things, yeah. So, like, when you're in a place like Corinth, which was, like, wild in antiquity. I mean, everybody in antiquity thought of Corinth in the same way we think of San Francisco. Yeah. So the, hmm. there was a term to Corinthianize, which meant to sexually corrupt. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so there was a church there. And yeah. they, guess what? They had a lot of problems with this stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Shocker. And so, you know, Paul is dealing with that stuff on the ground. But when you find yourself, say, at a place like Harvard or you're in Cambridge or you're in Berkeley or you're in Oxford, you know, and you interact with people that maybe you would disagree with very strongly about a certain range yep. of things. Yep. Does that mean that you can't talk to them about other things or right. work together on stuff? So, like, that's how I think about Peter Thiel. So, you know, yep. Peter Thiel, you know, you know, so, you know, the National Conservatism Conference took place in Miami. And, and the guys who were at our conference, uh, we sponsored in Battleground. You know, Joe Rigney and Aaron Wren and James Wood. They were all on the plane that night after the conference was over to get to Miami because mm. they were speaking at that. Wow. The next day. Yeah. <laughs> so they spoke at my church and they spoke at NatCon. And Peter Thiel was one of the major speakers at NatCon, yeah. along with Yoram Hazoni, who was a Jewish, yeah. you know, sort of Orthodox Jew, uh, very observant, obviously doesn't acknowledge Christ as, right. you know, the Son of God. So what do you what do you do with that? Well, I think that when you get to a certain sort of place in terms of cultural uh, work and influence, you have to make certain alliances. So, mm. like we think, let's think about World War II. 
you know, the United States and uh, and uh, United Kingdom had a lot, you know, that they were on the same page with, but they found themselves also on the same side of the war with yeah. Soviet Union. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so like the United States and yeah, the United States and and United Kingdom, ninety five percent of the time we're on the same page. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the Soviet Union, maybe forty percent of the time. Right. We have right. a common enemy in the Nazis, and so we're right. going to work on that. That's the way you got to think about this stuff. Right. So, now getting back to Jerry and Peter Thiel. Yeah. I don't know what Jerry's take on that is, but I suspect yeah. his take is similar to mine. Yeah. I don't know if if he really. I don't know how he really thinks about Peter. I've yeah. talked to, to Jerry a few times, and yeah. And I, I think Jerry's super sound. Yeah, I do too. So. Um, my guess is that, you know, and this is the thing. So the more purist you are, the, the, this is my observation, yeah. the further you are away from centers of power. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, guys, like I, I come across guys. Well, and, 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 and I, I sort of wear as a badge, and I think a lot of people in our community, in our circles do wear as a badge our uh, fundamentalism. You know, like, hey, look, we're fundamentalists. We're, we're okay with that. You know, we're, we're, we're deplorable. You know, yeah, and that's and and by the way, there are certain intellectual elites who yeah. are also okay with associating with fundamentalists and deplorables. Yeah. So the question is, is what do yeah. you do when they're Catholic, right? Roman Catholic, right. which a lot of them are, right? Right. So occasionally, I'll, yeah. I'll get, you know, somebody who says to me, "Well, oh, I would never have that Roman Catholic on my show." Right. I'm like, what hole do you live in? You know, how far right. are you away from Washington, New York City, and Los right. Angeles? Right. I can tell how far you are away from those places by the fact that you can't see a friend and recognize a friend. Right, right. Now, yes, we have some very strong disagreements about the order of salvation, but right. we both recognize that Jesus is the Son of God. Right. You know, that's pretty right. big. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think the application, I mean... Um, now, getting to the, the, yeah. the matter of the sexual practices... Yeah. You know, my, I don't know Peter Thiel. Yeah, I don't either. My, I suspect that he knows that we condemn and the scripture condemns. What, yeah. And I've never heard Peter Thiel say, I'm a Christian. I've heard he, him yeah. say, he, I'm a Girardian. Right. You know? Yeah, yeah. and he, he, t- he, he talks about the Bible a lot. He knows He talks it. about sin a lot. Like, yeah. he, he understands human nature and, and, and he seems to agree with the biblical view of a lot yeah so now what we may be talking about is a particular sin issue in a in someone's life and we should be praying for peter yeah. you know if he, if he genuinely trusts in christ for his salvation now the thing about you know teal is that he's in an, in an environment where very few of the people he interacts with on a daily basis think the way we do right That's he lives true. you know he's yeah he's kind of in a world where he's probably affirmed right all the time right in that respect yeah. yeah and that's and that's where i get back to you know okay so was paul in first corinthians 5 was he imagining a podcast between an anglican financial advisor in pittsburgh and a venture capitalist in silicon valley who's i think about to expatriate to uh St. Kitts or something like he's, oh, is, uh, is Teal going to do somebody, that? Somebody, somebody told me that the other day when I brought him up. Um, yeah. uh, I wouldn't, but, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, <laughs> he's a globalist. Yeah, he's like right, you know, right. Even though he, he, sp- he appears at NatCon, <laughs> he he just side note, uh, he did two talks. He did two uh, talks at Stanford with 
um, with N.T. Wright talking about uh, basically uh, an optimistic eschatology and the technological concept of like uh, of singularity and and uh, so anyway that was fascinating um, it's actually really fun but but uh, yeah I, I, I guess maybe the the direction to go with this is is what is first Corinthians 5 talking about um, he's talking to a church a church a, a small church community and he's saying you need to put these people out of the church and and I and I would yeah. happily say yeah if I, Peter I, Thiel was at my church I'd he would be excommunicated yeah right, right. Um, and, and 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 we'd pray for him to repent and turn back and and uh, but so the nice thing about that context is you can excommunicate somebody and then you can have them over dinner and evangelize to him, you know? Um, and, and the, and the expectations are all in the right place. Like you're not a believer. We don't believe you're a believer anymore. Uh, and we're, we're trying to call you to repentance. Well, I think there's something yeah. to be said about that. I do think that a person who is subject to church discipline in that way yeah. is, is, uh, to be, um, uh, kind of uh, reminded of yeah. his excommunication. Yeah. Um, so there are constraints yeah. that we are under sure. with how do we relate to that person. Yeah, and I wouldn't say you have him over and say we're all we're all friends. It's it's like, hey, you're you're in right. rebellion. You're in high rebellion here and right. and we can't even call you a Christian anymore, you right. know. Right. Can't call you a brother anymore. Right. I'm not I'm not actually trying to get into the although I will say, I mean, I I, I do think I do know plenty of people who have a brother or a sister, right? Who's gay, and who and who swear, you know, who who totally believes they're a Christian, and uh, and and I think in that situation, um, the you know, I, I've had several kind of pastoral type conversations with people in that situation, and the question is, what do I do? Like, what like do I have them over? Do I tell my what do I tell my kids? How do we talk about it? Um, and, uh, and I think at some level, um, you have to say, well, your responsibility is to your wife, your kids, train them. It's not to evangelize that person as much as you love them. And so, um, first Corinthians gives us a pretty strong warning about, about, about that. And you're probably better off, um, keeping your distance. Well, I think that's true. I, I do think that it's particularly the prerogative of the Father to establish boundaries yeah. and to enforce those. Yeah. So um, one of those boundaries may be uh, we're not having Uncle Jim over for Christmas anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's just the way it is. Yeah. It's in the best interest of our family and in your spiritual welfare yeah. to... Remind you that you know Uncle Jim is not trustworthy. Yeah. Well, thank you for indulging me on that one. All right, yeah. so this might be the last one, um, uh, and and I feel like um, there were several questions that came in on the topic of women um, in the church, women teaching. Um, so the scripture says, you know, uh, Paul says, I do not permit a woman to teach. Um, women should remain silent in church. Um, does that mean women 
Uh, but, but then you've also got, you know, um, in, in Timothy, uh, you've got, you've got uh, or Titus, is it, uh, Titus, the exhortation that the older women should teach younger, younger women. So, so is, uh, is the view, is the biblical view that a woman should never teach the Bible? Is a woman allowed to do exegesis on scripture? Uh, if so, when and where and how? Um, are there limits? Like, how should we, how should we be thinking? About, how should women in the church be thinking about yeah. those questions? Yeah, I think that we have to assess what Paul is addressing. Yeah, you know, he's, so he's addressing a, a gathering of the entire church. So he's addressing yeah. the subject of women speaking in the large gathering. Yeah, and I think we're also speaking to women teaching. So, like, if a woman gets up on Sunday morning and says, "On Thursday, we're having an ice cream social," is that right. like sinful? Right, right, right. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Right. I think that what we're talking about is a particular kind of thing, which is the office of teaching. Right. So, teaching the church as a whole. Right. As opposed to women, maybe coming apart and engaging in a study of scripture. Right. So, I don't have any problem with that. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that that's what was in view yeah so whenever we're looking at scripture uh we're not just simply looking at words on a page we're trying to think about what is the situation what's the context yeah how do we apply we have to interpret it and i think the treatment that i just made is fair i mean I, i don't think that paul was condemning women announcing the ice cream social right right he, he was condemning women exercising authority over men who they you know who were to exercise authority in their homes over their wives right for the in the interest of their wives right not just in their own ego driven you know sort of needs right we live in a world today where everything gets reduced to that yeah you know no one we have a very i i think uh underdeveloped understanding of what authority is uh, about Mm. We confuse authority with power. We confuse authority with ego needs. We confuse authority with all sorts of things. Right. Uh, authority is exercised in the interest of the author and the ones who have been authored. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, it's good. The, the people and the and the maker. So um, that's what it's all about. So if you're genuinely reflecting the will of the author and the author says it's important that husbands and fathers are the ones who are speaking for me in this setting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then you say, okay, maybe I don't understand everything that's going on here, but I just go along just because of who told me to do it this right. way. <laughs> right, right. But I think that there's a, you know, I do think we can, we can think about it, we can analyze it and say, why would mm-hmm. God limit this to fathers? Why right. would God limit this to men? Uh, and I don't think it's hard to, to, to understand. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. And just just to drive the point home and and, and try to um, flesh it out for folks, I, I think I think obviously women are specifically older women are specifically instructed yeah. to to teach like, and train younger women. Yeah, like, like I think of my wife, she very uh, naturally uh, does that. Yeah. Now my wife is not a Bible study leader. I mean, I don't think my wife has ever led a Bible study with anything more than children yeah it's just she just is not a person who's inclined yeah to that kind of thing now there are some women who are 
Yeah. Um, but uh, she's definitely a, a mentor to many, many women. I mean, right. I mean, she gets phone calls from all over the place. Women right. all over the country who want her opinion on what to do in this particular situation. She's very much the, the uh, uh, you know, a, a person who prays. That's her first right. mode. Right. My first mode is instruct. My wife's first mode is pray. Right, right, right. <laughs> and that's often a great div- sort of division of labor yep. in a house. I know my wife is praying for me all the time. Yep. She's praying for everybody all the time. Right, right. <laughs> and she, she has a great deal of influence because of her prayer life and because of her... Uh, her love mm-hmm. uh, and her interest in mm-hmm. people. Yeah. So my wife has access. You know this. So let's let's just kind of step back. Yeah. Like in in the neighborhood that I live in, my wife knows everybody mm-hmm. in all the houses adjacent to us. Yeah. How did that happen? Yeah. She went over and introduced herself, and then she actually was invited in. Yeah. And they're showing her pictures of their grandchildren. Right. <laughs> and she's exchanging cookie recipes. Right. Right. <laughs> and she's praying for them. You know what people think when I come to the door? Yeah. What's he selling? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't let that guy in. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> so my wife can do things I can't do. Right. She immediately is loved and trusted by little people, children, and, and elderly people. Yeah. My granddaughters have second thoughts about me. Right, right. <laughs> like, who's that guy? <laughs> yeah. He's kind of scary. <laughs> that's right. That's right. You know, so I think that women are really selling themselves short by thinking that the way to have significance and to influence people is to do what the guy is doing. Right, right. There's a, there's a set of things that men tend to be better at. Right. And are equipped for. Right. And there are things that women tend to be better at and are equipped for. Right. For goodness sake, let's just enjoy the gifts we've been given. Yeah. Well, and, and, and I think the counter argument would be, well, I, I was given particularly, you know, as a, I'm a particular woman who's got this gift of theological. Let me tell you, Chick. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, and I use that term on purpose. <laughs> yeah. There's not a man who, un, who has a masculine disposition who wants to know what you think. Hmm. That's a good word. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. Including I mean, your husband. Yeah, it's, it's right. That's it's because level. men, women don't have an understanding of male hierarchy. Yeah. Male, males uh, are, hi, you know, they form hierarchies naturally. Yeah. yeah. Every, you know how it works. Oh, you're yeah. a guy. You oh, walk yeah. in the room and you're assessing yourself and comparing yourself to the other dudes. Right. And you're saying, okay, Alpha. Yeah. Beta. Yeah, right. <laughs> You're immediately I, doing that. Actually, fascinating. And, and, and by, yeah. by, the way, by the way, I just want to, before I forget, Yeah. these chicks who think that they can pass as a guy because they've had their breasts cut off and right. they've taken a bunch of hormones, they right. are at the they are on the zero That's right. of the scale of 10. That's what I was going to say. Is <laughs> I, I, I listened to a podcast once, uh, and, and it was a story about a woman who had done just that, taken all these hormones done the surgeries and actually I think there's a book by a woman who did who I don't think she did the anything chemical or medical but she was able to impersonate a man for a year I think I saw that book I know the one you're talking and about and apparently she's like fully anti all of that stuff now like she, or she's she committed suicide she, did she really yeah I read about it yeah okay that's yeah it's, it was a, it was a traumatic experience because she ended up hating women Right, right. She grew to hate women because she was like, "Wow," and 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 really sympathized with the plight of men in, in today's society. Well, the 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 podcast I listened to 
this woman uh, did did the hormones, did the whole thing, and she said she didn't realize how when men walk down a sidewalk past each other, how there is a way that they that they come as close as they can to each other to communicate dominance. She's like, this was invisible to me as a woman. I, I didn't know <laughs> that if I'm walking down an alley, right. that I can't, I can't take a wide berth, or I'm actually inviting. Yeah, you're inviting aggression. Inviting aggression. <laughs> it's like, so you have to right. like sort of, you know, like like, all of that was completely invisible to yeah. her uh, yeah. because she's lived life as a woman. Right. Uh, now, why did God men? make men that way? See, right. the, the, the first thing that feminists do is they see this as some kind of character flaw, right? Rather than think about what's the design. Right. What's the purpose? Right. Right. Now, a guy will say, well, I think I know what the purpose is. Guys have to exercise a measure of control over their environment, so they're going to get a lot of people hurt. Yeah. You know, like when we think about why do young men form gangs and go on the periphery? It's because of the territory. they yeah. got to defend the territory. It's a very natural yeah. uh, thing for young men to do. Right. And, you know, it's not like a antisocial thing. It's actually a pro-social thing. Right. They're right. trying to defend their group's turf. Right. Yeah, so so just to kind of bring it home, I I, I I think men to a fault sometimes are so philosophical, so ideological that that they can't make a decision about what beer to order, right? Without thinking about, well, what's the most biblical kind of beer to drink? You know, like what would Jesus have drunk? Um, that's a fault that men have, but right. it's because I think men are men read scripture, read theology, read philosophy with this mission mindset of I got to apply this stuff so I can lead well, so I can, so yeah. I can com uh, complete the mission the right way. Um, and I think if a, if a woman has a talent for Bible study, a talent for exegesis, yeah. it's great. Um, great. But she has to do the same thing. What's the mission? What's the purpose? What direction is this pointed at? If it's, I have a calling and a mission to, 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 raise children up to be the next generation of leaders and 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 uh, 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 citizens and I have a calling to support my husband and, and 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 be his helper then I can I can I can give that a purpose but I think it's this unbounded sort of unsexed uh, detached yeah. from mission and yeah, purpose. Well, it reflects a, a very low view of creation right that there's no sort of front loaded meaning to anything and we live in a society that encourages that will we'll often uh, sort of uh, kind of move women along or sort of encourage them to pursue certain ways of uh, thinking uh, and behaving and and just so any of the women out there who are listening know even guys who deny all of the things that I've just said yeah. or we've talked about Deep down, no. Yeah. And they'll talk about it when the girls aren't around. That's right. So we've been a part of those conversations. Sure. But a lot of times those guys are trying to kiss up and get favors and, and be approved of in certain environments that, can, right. that they want to be uh, involved in. And and whatever, you know. But I, I, I think, though, that um, if a woman has a facility with theology and biblical study should be should be encouraged to pursue that mm -hmm. um, and it's pretty evident and a lot of times 
uh, it's undeniable. Mm-hmm. You just look at the woman and see what she can do and say, well, yeah, man, you're really sharp. Yeah. But how does that work? Right. So, you know, I'll read books written by women. Sure. It's not like I've got, like, this thing against reading books by women. I right, mean, right. <laughs> you know, I'll read Marilyn Robinson or, like, uh, you know, yeah. I've been doing a lot of work uh, lately, uh, you know, on totalitarianism, yeah. you know. Well, and I, I, th- I, I think Arendt I talk about Flannery O'Connor all the time as, yeah. as one of the greatest saints, you yeah. know, I mean, uh, uh, th- that I'm aware of. I mean, she's just an amazing, godly woman. Yeah, and I think that we can acknowledge that. Yeah. There's nothing... There's nothing wrong with acknowledging the gifts of the women that we know, but then it, then the question is, you know, how do we, how is it employed? Where is it exercised? Those kinds mm-hmm. of things. So, you know, I think about a person like Nancy Wilson. Yeah. You know, Nancy's great. She's got a really significant ministry with women. She's a, a student of Scripture. She cares about it. She studies it. She shares what she learns. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. And I get like I listen to Nancy's podcast, you mm-hmm. know, and it's, and I know I'm not the intended audience, but sure. but my wife is, and yeah. I'm trying to lead my wife, and sure. so I listen to Nancy and go, there's a lot, there's so much wisdom here. I, yeah. I benefit from it. It's stuff that I haven't yeah. thought about. Uh, you know, uh, it, speaking of that family, I mean, Rebecca's book, um, even Exile, really oh, yeah. talks very directly about this, um, and and. Um, and Rachel, Wil- uh, Rachel, Rachel Jankovic's book, you yeah. know, is is um, yeah, they're is both similar. very sharp. Yeah. So my daughter knows them both, uh, yeah. knows all three of those gals, and really loves them and yeah. respects them. And they've taken my daughter in, you know, and yeah. with her and stuff. Yeah. I think that's great. Yeah. Well, and 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 I think, but if you look at um, if you look at everything those three women are doing, um, the mission is always pretty clear. Like it's it's always very clear that. The mission is we're trying to be better wives. We're trying to be better mothers. We're trying to serve. We love the the calling that God has given us as women, and we're trying to do that better. And so, our pursuit of of um, of higher education, but you know, better learning in this in this area is is all directed towards the mission that God's given us. It's not. So I think the other piece of all of this is a an honest awareness of the curse on eve you know like let's be honest about this ladies this is this is part of the curse well i also think that it's part of the creation order sure so adam was first so there's a there's a logic to that um so you know one of the things that paul stresses is the firstness of adam right not just the curse of eve and so let's say there was no fall. Does that right. mean that there would have been an egalitarian right. sort of world? No. Right. No. I mean, any any institution requires uh, some leader to oversee the work and to judge it and to apply discipline. Even when you've got, I, I, I'll just put my cards on the table. Even if there was never a fall, yeah, there would still be correction. Sure. You know, you'd say to your, you know, Adam would say to his son, no, that's not the best way to do this. Yeah. And the son would not have the kind of chafing. Right, right. <laughs> but he would submit to his father's direction. Right. And so so right. it's not like if there had never been a fall, no one would have ever needed anybody in charge. Right. I, but I yeah. do think that that's what the egalitarians teach. 
Right. The egalitarians right. believe that there there had never been a fall, there would be no authority. Everything would be everything would be totally flat. Yep. Um, no, absolutely, and 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 you have to. You, you become a Unitarian if 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 that's your vision of of heaven or perfection of utopia right. is a is a world that's completely flat. Um, you're a Unitarian. You're you're not serving the Trinitarian God. Uh, you know where where you've got a, a hierarchy and you've got submission uh, and you've got. Um, well, you just think about the the created order. You know, you've got seraphim. Yeah. You know, and then you've got lesser you know angelic uh, creatures yeah. elohim yeah. yeah and then you've got so it's you know hierarchy means sacred order yeah so it's not as though um so so the the contemporary or the modern outlook is this immediacy everything is sort of like unmediated right so you know we all have direct access to god right. we're not even sure what jesus is for in right. other words you know, right. he's the mediator between god and man right we're not even sure why we need him. Right. You know, but mediation is the way, you know, the world uh, sort of is uh, f structured. And it's a beautiful thing yeah. when, when you have the various. So uh, anyway, this is a whole other conversation. No, it's awesome. <laughs> and when you have a perfect mediator. Yeah, that's that's really, really good news. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. really good news right. to have a perfect mediator. It's not me, you know, but it's it's Christ. Yeah. Um, well, it, yeah, the, the, I think there's a lot to, to, to unpack there. But the basic idea, as we said, is is a. Well, this was an a, but but be suspicious of the of the temptation that Eve has to usurp her husband. That that's a real temptation. Um, don't don't act like you're above that, uh, women. Um, be um, you know there there is an order. That God's that God's instilled here, and there's a purpose and design. Some of it we we is obvious, as you just stated, and some of it is uh, some of it we have to we have to obey without perfect understanding. Right. Right. Um, but the orientation ought to be our orientation as, as believers ought to be. I want to obey. Um, I don't want to see how close I can get. Yeah. To the fence, and so it's like you. You know, Pastor Wiley said a woman can make an announcement about a potluck. So why can't I read scripture on Sunday? Or why can't I pray from the microphone? And it's like, it's like, it's like, uh, the, 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 I say this to my kids all the time is, um, if your orientation is what's the absolute least I can do to, to be in, or what's the absolute farthest I can go without being out, you know? Um, then your orientation is not an orientation of of love. Of I, I love the, the home I'm in, I love the house I'm in, I love the, the the my membership in the body of Christ. It's I wanna get as far or do you want to just away kind from of, as I can. Well that or you just wanna sort of like be the one who makes the rules. So you know, I, I've I've said this to my my wife, my wife, and uh, my daughters-in-law, and others a few times. I've said, babies know the difference between men and women. Yeah, and dogs do too. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So, um, you know, right now my granddaughters are at a stage where they're clinging to their mother, which is like really it's good. good. Yeah, that's a good thing. <laughs> that's yeah. a good thing. And uh, you know, when I step into the room, they're a little bit 
who is this? Even yeah. though they've seen me dozens of times. Right. You know, but I'm larger, scarier, yeah. deeper voice, yeah. all of these things. It's, Same it's, thing with it's dogs. hair on your face. Yeah, they all, <laughs> you know, there's something animal about yeah. sort of the, the I, I can just feel that he's bigger. He weighs more. He could do more damage. Uh, he takes up more space. <laughs> that kind of stuff. Now, who should be speaking and reading scripture? Yeah. Right? Right. Do we want to convey power? Right. Well, if you want to convey power, like, do you remember uh, Up, that Pixar film? Yeah. Yeah. Remember the Doberman? He's got yeah. the, the voice that's yeah. like high and squeaky. Yeah, right. And we all get the joke. Right. We right. all get the joke. Do yeah. we want the high squeaky reading of the Bible? Yeah. Right. Right. So we all know that we like having the, the you know the, the the base voice, you know, for our daily scripture reading right. that we listen to on right. our you know, Audible or whatever. Exactly. Why? Yeah. Because the world that we live in is meaningful. Hmm. Babies are comforted by a higher voice. Mm-hmm. Why? It's part of the design. Yeah. So why do men raise their voice with a baby? Hello, little girl. That's right. why I was just talking to my daughter, my, my granddaughter last night saying, right. hello, little sweetie. You know, right. To kind of put her at ease. Right. Say, you know, to communicate, I'm not going to harm you. Now, if I gave her the full... You know, sure. you know, dad authoritative voice treatment. She'd start crying. <laughs> exactly. Oh yeah. You know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Why do we? Why do we have such a hard time with this? Because we have a low view of creation. Yeah. This is kind of the, kind of the Gnostic spirit of evangelicalism, particularly in the evangelical or the uh, egalitarian uh, yeah. circles. Well, we're asking the question, um, and I think this is always the danger. Uh, this is one of the Gnostic kind of dangers of of uh the church today is we're always asking i I feel like i hear this i hear this a lot in reform circles you hear the the words um something like do we really need x like does does x really matter or do we want to bind the conscience we want to bind the conscience on yeah yeah it's it's um it's this reductionistic like like we've we've identified somehow the only we we've we've weeded out every single thing that we think is potentially expendable, and we've come down to this one little kernel, which is justification by faith. And now, uh, and now we get to say, well, we we we've defined the one thing that matters. Therefore, nothing else really matters. Well, that I'm actually uh, just got the green light from World Magazine yeah. to address this very subject. <laughs> I just queried them today, and they got right back to me and said, yeah. go for it. So it's this, this matter of sort of biblical minimalism. Yep. So if we can't define it as law or gospel, then it doesn't matter. It's sort right. of like, you know, whatever. But there's a large body of, of, of material in the Bible that doesn't fit law and gospel. Right. Now, some people try to shoehorn it into those categories, but it's called wisdom. Yep. Yeah. So wisdom matters. Right. Um, and... Wisdom is the exercise of good judgment in the situation that you find right. yourself in. So what are we what are we what are we doing when we approach this minimal, minimalistically? But essentially, we're saying, well, you know what? If I'll give you an example, you know, if you struggle with homosexual temptation, um, 
that doesn't disqualify you from being a pastor because lots of pastors struggle with other temptations. Yeah. Who now, are you to are judge? Are we making that? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Are we making that? Is that genuinely equivalent? For first of all, right. And do do we have nothing to work with? I mean, let's take a look at the what's known as the lavender mafia in the Catholic Church, right. and all of the sexual abuse that we see there by guess whom? Yeah, homosexuals. Yeah, you know. Now that we we can dress it up and call it pedophilia, but uh, what we're talking about is is sexual perversion. Yeah. Let's keep those people as far away from positions of authority yeah. as possible. And it doesn't mean that those people aren't part of the church or, right. you know, are, are, but there's no right to being an, an elder. It's not like every single person in the church has the right to be an elder. Right. You right. Know, you know, there totally. are criteria that, that, you know, you have to uh, pass muster with in order to be, and, being above reproach yeah it is the, a higher standard and then what does being above reproach mean i think it's including it includes certain kinds of temptation right there's just certain people who are struggling with certain things that we just don't hand the cues to those well folks. and and i mean i, I we, we were talking about this earlier uh i would include gluttony you know if you've got somebody who is morbidly obese yeah. it's like hey brother uh right get that under control and yeah. then let's talk about right. I agree. Uh, right. Uh, I mean, the 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 word you talked about in your book, um, the word is uh, is a, is a is a, a faithful or a good uh, household manager. You know, which implies the term household there is a loaded term that means yeah. more than more than mowing your lawn. It right. actually is talking about your financial affairs, talking yeah. about your business. So. Have you proven yourself to be somebody who knows how to lead people and right. and hire and fire and manage you know right. people and and uh, take care of your customers and hit right. budget and hit timelines like like those that's not subjective those are actual things you can go back and look at you can read the Google you know reviews or whatever <laughs> and know you know right. is this guy is this guy's a bad name around town because he rips people off that matters that matters uh, when it comes to being an elder. Yeah. Yeah. So are we so desperate for elders that we're just kind of lowering standards? I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so either. Uh, anyway, that's a, a whole other conversation. Yeah. Well, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, I, I feel like there's another couple hours worth of stuff to talk <laughs> about. Uh, so we'll have to just do it again. But thanks yeah. for coming on the show. Well, thanks for having me, Larson. It's been a lot of fun.